there's an element of people that win in life who had to earn the right of being where they're at. This next generation is not an earn. It's an entitled generation. An entitled generation gets destroyed. Always gets destroyed. You know what? Let me play devil's advocate for a sec. I think you're just making a blanket statement, right? I would argue and I would say, okay, look at millennials, look at baby boomers, look at any generation, right? You got some fucking killers. I'm a fucking killer, right? It's a small percentage of the population, right? You're going to have the rest kind of fall in the middle somewhere. Some are going to be on the government dime. Some are going to be happy just landing that corporate job in middle management somewhere with a pension. They're just kind of kind of coast along like that. And I would say, wouldn't you find that in any generation, whether it's millennials or Gen Z or Gen X or boomers? Listen, I appreciate you being very sweet and trying not to offend people and being gentle and kind. What a sweetheart of a guy you are. I appreciate that. I, I, I don't know if you have daughters or not, but you're like a daughter's daddy. You I got am. Girls. I got two daughters for sure. I'm sure they love their daddy. Like God made you to be a girl's dad. Like, okay. And he's gifted you with that gentleness. Hey guys, welcome to the Tom Ward Show where every week we talk to the most successful entrepreneurs in the world who teach you how to improve your life. It's time to level up. Today we have such an entrepreneur. We have Patrick Bet David, entrepreneur and content creator. I mean, you've kind of evolved past in general content creator, but welcome, man. It's good to have you. It's good to be out with you. Now, man, I got to say, I always prepare. I'm a big believer in over-preparing for things. It's just in life, right? That's how I'm wired. So for an average interview, I probably spend, you know, I don't have people help me with that. I do that. I probably spend three-ish, maybe four hours doing it. Now with you... You're a lot, man. There's a lot going on. I probably spent 10 or 11 hours on you (laughs) because you're so polarizing. I mean, you know, I went down the Reddit rabbit hole. We could talk about that later. I mean, there's people who are really all about you and there's people who, let's say, they are the opposite opinion of you, right? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about how how we got there and everything. But was that by design? You know, it's so funny. Yesterday, I had a guy that came here, a Syrian guy, and uh, uh, George Jenko. I don't know if you know who he is. He did mm-hmm. the podcast with Impulsive, and there was a following out, so he did his own thing. And he asked me a question. He says, so how important is it to you as an Assyrian to represent your community? And I said, it's a fair question. I like the question. I'll give you my response. I said, I'm half Armenian, half Assyrian, born and raised in Iran, but I'm made in America. So born in Iran, made in America. Mom's Armenian, dad's a Syrian, but here's how I work. I said, well, my parents got a divorce. Each side, they divorced twice in 20 years. They got married, my sister's born. They got remarried, they, you know, married, sister's born, divorced. Remarried, I'm born, divorced. So they married and divorced each other twice. And when the second divorce happened that was involving me, each side was kind of trying to pin me against my parents. So my mom's side's family would say, oh, He's an Assyrian. He's a Bed David. And my dad's family would say, oh, he's an Armenian. He's a Bogosian. And eventually, one day, I snapped at both of them. I said, listen, you guys have to realize this. As a kid, I said this. I said, you guys don't matter to me. I love my mom. If you force me to have a bad relationship with my mom, you're not going to talk to me. And if you force me to have a bad relationship with my dad, you're never going to see me because you don't matter to me. The only reason you do is through my mom and my dad. reason why that taught me a very big lesson early on Sometimes we are so concerned about being held hostage by others' opinions of you on how you do something right or wrong that we fall in this trap of, oh, I can't say that because I may lose a sponsor. Oh, I can't say that because I may lose that relative. 
oh, I can't do that because God forbid, if that person doesn't like what I have to say, I am so free right now that I'm not in the game of being held hostage like many people are. And it's where I excel. And I like to manage expectations up front with all the relationships. And it's done me well. You know, it's funny. You really reminded me of, remember the Chick-fil-A boycott years ago, right? You know, they're a Christian organization. If you don't know, yeah. that's who they are. Yeah. They're Glow Sunday. They yeah. contribute to certain charities that are not the most gay friendly. So kind of the left went bonkers and boycotted their product, right? So I've heard, I heard something after the fact. You would think, first of all, if I'm the CEO of Chick-fil-A, I'm not involved in shit. I want to tell, sell chicken sandwiches. I want as many people. You're not going to know who I voted for. You're not going to know what baseball team I like. You're not going to know anything about me. I'm here to sell chicken sandwiches. But what, what someone said, and I don't know if the numbers are true or not, was you think that Chick-fil-A would have went down. There would have been dip in sales after that controversy. But the opposite actually happened. Because what happened was they did lose a segment who was pissed and boycotted and they have every right to. But then the people who align with their values are like, that's my company. They're speaking to me. I'm with you guys. And they doubled down. And actually, sales grew after that, which is wild. For me, I'm, I'm, I want to be, I want everybody to buy chicken sandwiches. I want everybody to love me. And I think you would go with the Chick-fil-A route. It's like, no, no, no it's better to have one side all in. Is is that your kind of stance on whether it's content creation or social media or is that? You know, it's crazy you say that. It's a great case study because, you know, when Nike said, we're going to go Colin Kaepernick and they gave him whatever the contract was, 40 million. Oh, it's going to flop. It's going to be terrible. Stocks went up. Why? Because their audience was for Colin kneeling at the time. And the side that they lost was so small. They're like, yeah, we didn't have you in the first place anyway. So we made the right move. Now, Disney choosing to go hardcore LGBTQ, they took a massive hit, five business back-to-back -back flops with movies that they did. And now the most recent girl, Rachel Zegler, I think is her name, and she comes out and she says, the new Snow White is not going to have a love story and all this stuff, and she doesn't need to be stocked, and it's kind of creepy. Well, guess what? Disney's gotten destroyed with their stocks. If you go look at what Disney stock looks like, it's horrible. So it is a hit and miss. It worked for Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A's audience is that audience. So they stayed loyal to their audience and it works for me in regards to who I'll interview. So I'm a very vocal capitalist, very, and everyone knows it. I'm unapologetic, but I've interviewed more communists than anybody else has on YouTube. Your Why mom was a communist. My mom was a communist. So I've interviewed so many communists. And by the way, there's some of my favorite podcasts. So, and I, and I tell my guys, like I was on Joe Rogan the other day and we we're doing a podcast together. The day before being on Joe, I interviewed Cenk Uger. Cenk is not necessarily the most loved guy. By the way, I'm Armenian. His show is called The Young Turks. They committed the Armenian genocide. I'm Armenian. I said, we're not supposed to be in the same room. We're supposed to fight. That's the second time I had him on. So entire market is like, paddle freaking talk to anybody. And then the week prior to that, I got someone to, you had Chris Cuomo. Why would you have Chris Cuomo and Jeffrey Tubin and Anthony Weiner? But then you have Alex and Charlie Kirk. And yeah, I like to talk to a wide range of people. And I'm comfortable with that. That is something that I work watching my mom and dad with the constant feud of watching both sides and still trying to keep and maintain a relationship. Yet, I'm unapologetic about my views. And I'm not worried about 
you being offended, that's the risk of life. There is risk to everything in life. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to get under your skin. If you want to play that game, I'll also get under your skin. But for the most part, most people are respectful. And uh, yeah, but I'm not going to sit there and try to make you happy by all of a sudden flip-flopping. That's just not, that's not how I'm wired. Now, I mean, there's a lot to get into. And I, I don't have the energy. I don't think that Rogan and these other guys do to have a three fucking hour interview. I don't know how they do it. The Rogan one, I was there for a while. I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't, I got shit to do. I, you know, I don't have three fucking hours. But the first thing I want to talk about is while we're on it is your journey into content creation, right? And we can talk business and all the other stuff later. But first of all, why bother? You know, you get into it, you're already rich. It doesn't seem to me like I'm not a rich guy. It's not enough to be rich anymore. You know, all the rich guys want huge followings on social media. They want their own brand. You know, they want they want to work on a YouTube channel. They want to have their own podcast and stuff. Is that kind of where is that the kind of energy that you went into that with? Like, why did you even start with YouTube? Like, yeah, good why question. Bother? So, 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 you know, for me, it's 2008. I've finally heard the two magical people in my life tell me they're proud of me. My mom and dad, I'm making good money, shy of a half a million a year. I'm dating a girl that I know I'm going to marry. Life is good. I've spoken in front of probably 100,000 people, stage, you know, all this stuff. And I've, I've had a good life. But I'm, my, my fuse is short. And I'm on fire inside. And I'm not really in the best place because I feel like there's an emptiness to it. So for me, I'm like, I got to figure out my cause, my crusade because I want to tap into the purpose side. So I call five of my advisors and I hold a meeting with all of them together. I said, guys, I need your help. Can you please come together? I truly need your help. And they come in and they said, what's up? I said, here's what I'm dealing with. I, you would think I would need to be content and happy, but I can't go to sleep because my, my mind, I feel like, why would God give me this life that I've lived just to make money? That doesn't make any sense to me. There's got to be something bigger to this. So Am I supposed to go be a pastor? Am I supposed to go back in the military? Am I supposed to go be, you know, a, you know, a, a person that's going to go in school and study politics? Am I supposed to go into politics? Am I supposed to go into business? What is the cause? I need my cause. Okay. So each of them individually asked a bunch of questions. Three hours later, I said, can you please think about it and help me out with this? And these are some of my best people in my life, best friends in my life. I respect, I trust these guys. And individually, they all started introducing me to different people. I went to one meeting at Miramar Hotel, and I heard a man speak. George Will got up, and he talked about how lawyers are ruining America and all this other stuff. I came back, and then I'm like, huh, lawyers are ruining. He told these two stories about a kid who swallowed a fish hook, and the dad sued the company that built the fish hook because they didn't put the warning sign on and got a few million dollars. And that company went out of business. So as if you need common sense to say a kid shouldn't swallow this. Well, the lawyer said, we can get money out of these guys. And then another lawyer, this guy broke it down to say, look how obesity is increasing in America because we're shutting down parks at a faster rate than ever before. Because lawyers and cities are sitting next to parks watching kids fall off a slide, break an arm, and they're suing the city. And cities are saying, take these parks out. And then the data shows that obesity is high. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting argument. So And then later on I come, he says... I'm going to have a conversation together. And the guy asks and says, look, this is Patrick. He's one of my uh, folks that I'm mentoring. You know, Patrick wants to know what to commit his life to. What do you suggest? And he says, Pat, where are you from? I said, born and raised in Iran. 
uh, 10 years in Iran, two years in Germany on refugee camp. And then I came to the States. I went to the army. I've been in financial services. He says, perfect. Why don't you study why there's only one country in the world that uh, calls it the American dream and why we lead the world in uh, immigrants? And I did. I got hooked. So I left. Then I had a, a gentleman named Dudley Rutherford give a speech, and he talked about the seven mountains to climb in life. One is military, one is education, one is family, one is clergy. One. He's given me all this stuff, and he's given this talk, and he says one of them is media. It's the hardest one to climb, but it's the most important one because you can truly make impact, world impact. And that stuck with me. This is 2010, 2011. I've never made a public video. I don't have a YouTube channel. I don't have, I'm not posting anything on Facebook. And so I left in 2012, December, we started a YouTube channel. 2013, I uploaded, I think, one of our first videos. It was called Two Minutes with Pat. Two years later, we blew up. We had a thousand subscribers. And then I took a break. I'm like, it's a man, big this thing deal is not when you working. start. The first it thousand is hard, as, hard. It is. You're right. But I mean, it's a thousand. So I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. And then we picked one word and it was entrepreneurship business. We went back, we got to 100,000 and went to half a million. And then I took a break again, three months. And I said, if we come back, we're going to turn into a media company and we're eventually going to build one of the biggest media companies in the world. And then that blew up. And then from there, that turned into a product development division. Now our consulting firm, if you come see the buildings we bought uh, uh, and how many people we have doing what they're doing with consulting, then it turned into a comedy club, then it turned to a cigar lounge, then it turned into a podcast company where we're recruiting and distributing and so then it's turned into this. But for me, it's it's more than just money. Obviously, I sold the insurance company a year ago for multi-multi nine-figure check. It was a beautiful thing that happened July 1st of uh, 2022. But now we're going to go on a 40-year run. I, I can't tell you how much fire is in my belly right now, man. If the world only knew what's on my mind and my heart, they, they, they would think I'm crazy. Well, you missed the most interesting part of your YouTube journey. The most important, the mob interviews. So where does that come from? Because to me, I go, that's a brilliant idea. I was looking at the views. You're getting like 15 million views on these videos. You know, I don't necessarily, you know, align with some of your political views so that your show is not for me. But who doesn't like a good mob story? Like I'm all all of it. We all do. Like I'll tune in for that. Tell me the story about the guy who was scamming gas. What mob guy was that? He was getting around the gas tax or something and making a ton of dough. One point, he was like a top, according to Fortune, I think 1985 or something, he was the 38 highest paid mobster. He was making like $4 a week or some number like that. No, but but listen, you know, again, it's an interesting thing you're asking because the other day I interviewed a uh, top 25 most influential men, according to Time Magazine, and a topic of space and aliens, okay? And he's here, and we sit down and we talk. About an hour into it, I'm talking to myself and no one knows it, and I said, I really could care less about space. Like, I don't have any interest. My 11-year-old son would love to know what's going on in space. I'm not interested. And But I will watch another guy who is full-on obsessed about space because my interest is based on how interested he is on that topic. If that makes any sense. No, yeah, so of course it does. I will watch somebody where I'm like, I don't have any interest in this stuff. But man, you make it interesting. So for me, why did I do mob interviews and why did they connect and you know they they did what they did? I mean, I grew up watching Godfather, Goodfellas, Carlitos Way, you know, Scarface, all these things. So a lot of that in business happens. And in business, you go in initially, it's like you're very noble and innocent. 
and you see the darker side of how competition works and how some people want to put you out of business and you realize the power plays and the deceptiveness and the manipulation when you're taking market share away from others. And I realized, I said, okay, you guys want to play like this? No problem. I got to learn this game. It's a power game. It's a war game. Cool. I'll pick it up. You know, I, I went in innocent, but I'll pick it up and I'll learn this as well. So then people started saying, this guy's interested in mob interviews. Oh, shoot. He likes all these bodybuilding interviews. Why did this thing get 18 million views? Why did this clip go and get 28 million views? Pat knows a lot about bodybuilding. Why does he know so much about the history of Iran, U.S. oil conflict? Interested in China, CIA, FBI, politics, this. So, and then the journey goes where the more multidimensional you are, the more of an audience you can find. Rogan has a UFC audience, a bodybuilding audience, a ayahuasca audience, a shrooms audience, a comedian audience, an alien audience, conspiracy theory audience. This is why he's the number one podcast in 94 different countries incredible. in Spotify, because he simply has a wider range than everybody else out there. And he's been around longer. So now whoa, whoa, there's pa- a pause on that. One. Pause on that. You can, you know, if you're watching this, you may go, I fucking hate this guy. His tweets get me so fucking angry, you know? So, you know, you can, you can argue that case, right? But the one thing you can't argue is you're, you're a really good entertainer. And you studied the game. Now I'm a, I'm not a huge sports guy. I'm a NBA basketball junkie. Like I watch hoops and I heard you somewhere. See, I do my homework. You were talking about the analogy of being a good host. Like you figure that out. You go, okay, I know when to insert myself, what kind of questions people want, how to sneak in the ones they don't want to answer at the right time. Like I do this, that's an art, right? That takes a little while to learn, but a host is limited. Because no one gives a shit about where the host is from, what he had for dinner that night, what he believes in politically. You're limited. So then you you got, if we're looking at the TNT halftime crew, which is the best in sports, in my opinion. So you got Ernie Johnson. Ernie Johnson, he's the host. I don't know who Ernie voted for. I don't know what he likes for dinner. I don't know. He could have been married 10 times and cheating all over. I don't know anything. I don't care. So now you got the second, you know, entertainer. You got the trash talker, you know, who's very opinionated, who's going to stick to his guns, who's going to mix things up. That's Charles Barkley. That's also a PCU. And then you got the analyst, which is not a sexy, you know, Kenny Smith, but the person yeah. who could back up. Charles can't. Tra- it's hard to have all three because a guy like Charles and there's po- a million podcasters like him can spout out all this crazy stuff, right? But most of them can't back it up rationally. It's a, it's all it's all emotion and no facts, right? So it's not. So you need that analyst side to go along with the trash talking side. I think to be really effective. So you figure that out, and me as a guy who hosts and interviews people, I I can do this. I can't do the Charles or the analyst thing. I need to work on that. I need to work on my game there a little bit more. But talk about the development of those three things, which I think is important to anyone watching this who wants to get into podcasts or YouTubing or anything. So, so think about the people. It's interesting. The other day we're talking with a guy and I'm asking, saying, hey, so uh, 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 tell me the difference between DeSantis and uh, Newsom. Okay, DeSantis is on the Republican side. Newsom is on the Democratic side. California, Florida, few Disneyland, Disney World, right? So, you know, shut down during COVID, keep it open during COVID. No matter what you can look at, it's like complete opposite people, right? Mm -hmm. 
And the guy made such a good point and on why DeSantis, uh, I'm sorry, why Newsom is more formidable than DeSantis. DeSantis, some would say, maybe has a better resume, right, on what he did during COVID for some. But people who don't like DeSantis are not going to tune in to watch his interview. Only the people that like him will tune in to watch his interview. However, what Newsom has is whether you like him or dislike him, you're going to tune in to watch what he has to say. This is the same thing Trump has. This is the same thing Obama has. It doesn't matter whether you like or dislike. You want to know what this guy is talking about. And and that is an art. You know, I ran an insurance company, uh, high volume recruiting insurance company for the last, you know, 14 years. And we got 45,000 insurance agents and we put our annual, we just had our annual convention last week at MGM Grand Arena. And we had nearly 10,000 people there. And Habib was at the event. So I interviewed Habib. His interview is coming out, I think, tomorrow or Monday or something like that. Nice. And we're talking. Okay. And he's saying what he's saying. We're going back and forth. And, you know, next thing you know, I know a question to ask that's going to prompt a lot of controversy. I said, so Habib, question for you. He says, what's that? You know, you're from Russia. He says, yeah. I said, in America, we have 100 plus genders. How many genders do you guys have in Russia? Guess what? Sure. Now, of course, that smile on your face, you're like, what kind of a question is that? We it's all know what he's going to say. Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to say a hundred of course he's not he's going to say well in russia we believe in two that's it you guys you guys are crazy you guys got too many i said listen we're very ambitious we want to keep adding more new genders in russia you guys want to add two so here's what happens with that conversation the people that hate my question are going to trash me and say you know what kind of a stupid question is that and then his answer is going to get an audience to want to hear what he answered why would you say something like that so you'll see when it's released you're going to see it on Twitter, trending. People are going to respond, react to it, criticism, whatever. It's like when I interviewed uh, Kobe. Kobe and I together, the late, great Kobe Bryant, the, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite interviews of all time. And I asked him a question. I said, hey, uh, Kobe, if Shaq had your work ethic, how many championships would he have had? He said he would have been the greatest of all time. He said we would have 10 or 12 championships. So that gets picked up the day we release it. I get 100 emails from ESPN, NBC, CBS, ABC. Can we release? Can we release? Can we release? A few hundred million views later, but two hours later, I get a DM. I get a DM from a guy named Shaq. And Shaq says, what kind of a stupid-ass question is that? Go, You go run your little-ass company, and then he blocks me. I'm like, what? So I'm trying to get a hold of Shaq to say, Shaq, you were my favorite, man. What are you doing? I want to talk to you. Three years, we don't talk. Three years later, he finally agrees, and I invite him to the event, and he says, before we do the interview, I want to talk to you in the back. So I go to the back. I said, what's up? He says, I just want to make sure you still notice. That was still a stupid-ass question. I said, Shaq, that's a good question. Anyways, we had our moment, and then we did it, and it was great. But listen, your, your job, this is why we call the company Valuetainment. If you can bring value and you entertain, now you're competing at different levels. You know, if you're only going to bring value, you're boring. If you're only going to entertain, I'm going to forget about you. But if you can value-tain, I'm going to talk about you. And I'm going to say, I may not agree with everything this guy said, but that argument there made a lot of sense. Let me think about it. And you kind of go on your own. Well, you're going to keep coming back. You know, it's funny. So, okay, let's go down the rabbit hole. So I made the mistake, or maybe it was a good thing. I went on Reddit, typed in your name. Holy shit. <laughs> So I'll read some of these comments again, just like your Shaq question. It's good. It'll be a good clip, but it's Holy balanced. 
It's good and bad, right? So some of the comments, it was they had a whole thread. It was uh, about your recent Rogan appearance a couple weeks ago. And yeah. I mean, there must have been 500 comments. And it was all over the place. I mean, so you go, Patrick is smart from an entertainment views perspective. His podcast is popular because he brings on popular and controversial guests. He literally brings on anyone and can stir debate. Okay. Haven't listened, but the guy has a really punchable face. That's fair. I'll take it. It's It's fine. Right? I'm glad we have people like Patrick, Bet, David, and Tucker Carlson out there to counter CNN, uh, MSNBC. There's got to be different media to give different perspectives so we can make our own opinions. Okay. And this... This dude's a grifter. Look up his company, PHP Agency, People Helping People, Insurance Hustle. It's basically an MLA, MLM Ponzi scheme. That stuff came up, and we could talk about that later. But you've got to be built different. You know, you kind of have to have your battle gear on. There's something, you got to be wired a certain way to, to fucking want to get into this, right? So what's wrong with you, I guess, is my question. I freaking love it. You have no idea how much I love it. Like it's my comfort zone. I, I don't know why. I love uh, being in these awkward type of uh, 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 situations to have these tough conversations. I maybe it's because my first ten years of my parents being together was so chaotic. My life was so chaotic. You're living in Iran. We're being bombed on all this other stuff. It's constant. You know the stuff that you see is constant. And then you go live at a, at a refugee camp for two years without a father figure. It's chaotic. Then you go into the army and you're from Iran. So imagine the guy says, you got a punchable face. All right, now cut this off. So imagine if I'm bald, this is zero. And I'm going to Waffle House in Alabama. And the guy says, I've never seen a nose like that before. Where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Iran. You're from Iran? Yeah, what are you doing here? Between you and I, I'm a spy. You know, and it's like, oh my God, he's a spy from Iran, right? And I'm just messing with these guys. but. To, to talk about the one about the insurance company with PHP. So my background prior to starting my insurance company, I sold at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. I got my series 766-3126. And I was with Valley Total Fitness, which at that time they had one of the best sales training programs in a market between them and Xerox. It was known as possibly hands down the best sales training program. And then you know, I, I, I dabbled in a lot of different sales products that I was doing prior to that when I just got out of the army. So when I started PHP, I chose to take a little bit from Morgan Stanley, a little bit from, you know, Valley uh, Total Fitness, a little bit from the other companies I was a part of. And I had the choice to buy leads and sell leads to my guys and pay a lower comp. Or I had the choice to have a high volume recruiting on 1099 and my guys got to go find leads themselves and hunt, but I can pay higher comp. And it's all about going and building your agency. In the insurance business, you can either go sell insurance products and make dollars $300,000, $400,000 per year, or you can go recruit and build an agency, and then later on you can sell your agency. Nobody buys your agency if you're just a salesperson. But companies will pay a lot of money to buy agents because the market lacks agents. When I started a company, the average insurance agent was a 56-year-old white male. And I saw a few different things that happened. I saw um, Ron Paul raise $6 million and I think 04 on MySpace in 24 hours. And it was a Guinness Book of World Record. And he was 60 some years old. And he, I'm like, that's MySpace, 6 million? Then I saw Obama gives a speech at DNC 
four years later comes running away and he gets money from Facebook and then he beats Hillary and he beats what? Who? A one-term senator becomes a president because he understood social media and he understood the power of communication and he won the Hispanic vote? Perfect. So then I looked at the demographics. I said, we're going to start an insurance company and the demos are going to be very different. When we sold the insurance company, the average age in town was a 34-year-old Hispanic female. And no one in the market has that. So, uh, and, and there was a big price tag for wanting to buy our company. A lot of people made, we had 19 offers to buy the company. We eventually decided to sell it to Integrity Marketing Group. And that money came from Silver Lake. If you know Silver Lake, it's a very big company. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. So I don't, man, I, I totally understand a lot of these comments being made. That's part of the game. If you're going to put your face out there, you got to be ready for getting the heat from others. If you don't like it, keep your mouth shut. And I'm okay with it. Well, so let me ask you. So I saw the CoffeeZilla interview, right? And I love those guys. I think they do a really good job. I mean, they I definitely, they yeah. do their homework, whatever, they, they, you, yeah. they're educated. They they do their work. Do the work. So I was watching that and- Actually, before I even get into that, I had a couple of questions from that. I don't know anything about the insurance business. So tell me, okay, before you talk about how you structured your organization, a normal insurance agency in Boise, Ohio, selling life insurance, what does that look like? Do they pay a guy 50 grand and he gets some commission on that and he, he's got a 401k or like, what's the structure and how do they do their hiring? Right, an old school kind of business. So, for example, look at the uh, um, uh, go to a a State Farm Farmers or a New York Life, which I'm sure you're familiar with, or a Primerica, that's a seven billion dollar company on the stock market, or a you know Transamerica World Financial Group, or you can go and talk about a lot of these insurance or Northwestern Mutual. So, Northwestern Mutual would be a good example. That's like the Goldman Sachs. Okay, so if a guy graduates from Wharton Business School wants to go into insurance. He's probably going to go to Northwestern Mutual. Northwestern Mutual is, you know, they, they recruit the cream of the crop. Okay. I don't know what your degree is, but they're going to go get the best guys from the best schools. And those are the only people they hire. Okay. So when I first applied to get a job at Goldman Sachs, they laughed at me. They're like, listen, man, you ain't got a four-year degree. You ain't got an eight-year degree. You're not a Goldman product. So I never got a job at Goldman Sachs, but I did get a job at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter because Dave Kirby gave me an opportunity and I worked there. So now New York Life, they allow you to work on a draw, which means you'll come in and- I sold cars after college. I know exactly what a draw is. Yeah, so some places purely commission, some places it's draws, some places it's a, it's a salary and high benefits. Here's what you have to realize. Whoever gives you the highest salary and benefits is going to pay you the least amount of commission. That's sure. what's in, ex- in exchange. Of course. So I don't want the salary and I want the highest commission. You know, so as an insurance agent, if you want to work at a Northwestern Mutual, you have to figure out a way to get your foot in the door. And it's a lot. Not, they're selective. You can get into Prudential. Okay. You can get into New York Life. If you get into New York, you got a 90-day draw, give or take, and then boom, you go out there and have to sell to your family, friends, prospects, a lot of work. Listen, there's a reason why most people don't get into insurance. It's a very, very hard. But the reality of it is you can choose to only be an agent and write business, or you can choose to go out there and build an agency. So when people make the comment and they say, well, you know, that company is this, and look at PHP and recruiting and this, this, that, here's all I'll tell them. I say, I totally get it. 
And I'll say, you know, people much smarter than you who have access to 100% of my bank account and accounting that they we have to spend a few hundred thousand dollars by PwC to do audits on how we do everything, looked at all of that and paid a few hundred million dollars for it. Why would they do it? You think a fool's going to do it? And they're going to risk making those kinds of investment. The company has to be profitable for them to want to do something like that. So there's 100 pennies in a dollar. You can figure out a way to pay people in a different way. Choose a salary, choose the draw, or choose a 100% commission. But each of them comes with a pro and con. You pick and choose which one's best for you. The one thing I took away, and thank you for explaining that, because now it kind of gives me a better picture of the business that I didn't have. The one thing that I took away from the CoffeeZilla thing is, I'm going to get the numbers a little wrong, but I think when you broke down the whole sales force, it was like 2% get or making 250 grand plus. But then it was shocking. It was like 60% are making two, under two, $250 or under. That was shocking to me. Was First of all, I guess, was that number true? Is that accurate? I, I don't know the exact number. I, I think that interview was like a, three years ago. I can oh, get okay. you the, I think the public information on our website. You can sure. get we update it every year. Okay. But uh, it wouldn't but be shocking. Is that, is that yeah. sound? Well, it's, you got, you got to realize it's a part-time game. Insurance is not a full-time game. Most life insurance agents are part-time. Matter of fact, real estate, go to Keller Williams. I don't know if you've looked at Keller Williams numbers. They got 150,000 realtors. What do you think 60% of their realtors do? They're lucky if they sell one home per year and sure. make six grand a year or, you know, 500 bucks a month. That's the business model. One cannot go out there and say, oh, because of that, Keller Williams is a bad business. No, the guys change a lot of people's lives with what Gary Keller did. He's, he's done a great work with his company. Uh, real estate is very hard. I will say this to you for you to, for you to kind of think about, and I think I talked to those guys. And, and by the way, I think the main guy from CoffeeZilla, who's now doing his own thing, yeah, I think that guy's got a very big upside. I don't know what he's going to do, but the investigative reporting that he's doing, he's very talented, very, sure. very talented uh, on where he's going to go. The part you got to think about is this which I asked him, and I'll ask you, um, Tom, how many subscribers do you have? How many people do you have that watch your show? How big is your show? Not that, I mean, 40,000, or no, f okay. almost 50,000. Okay, it's very hard to get to 50,000, okay? So here's a question. How many people you think started a YouTube channel, and at 2,800 subs, they start saying stuff like, oh, you know what, uh, YouTube is shadow banning us? And YouTube is doing this and we're being throttled. I'm like, brother, YouTube's not doing that to you. Your content just isn't good. Sure. This thing is, okay, you, you're, you're, you're just not recreating yourself. You got to get better interviews. You, so you can, it's easy in life to blame YouTube. It's easy in life to, and by the way, some people on the conservative side say, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. Why don't you make your adjustments on your messaging and approach and questions and marketing and all this stuff, you know, but uh, for me, it's very, very hard to make it in any business, whether it's podcasting and the amount of hate people have. If I talk to people from mainstream media and I drop the word Joe Rogan, they have an aneurysm right in front of me. They lose their minds. Joe Rogan is a curse word because Joe single-handedly kicked the living crap out of all of them. They don't like the guy. Oh, he's a fraud. Oh, he's a this. Oh, he's a that. Oh, he's, oh ivermectin is a horse thing that he put in his body. Now CDC comes out and says, now you can use and prescribe ivermectin for COVID. And he almost got canceled a year and a half ago for that. So it, th this is very natural when you get up there and you're competing and you're calling out. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to poke in many different areas of your business. And that's going to happen. You know, 
that's really it on, on that topic. Um, something you said too, it's funny. Uh, my wife showed me a reel today and it was funny timing because you shared something and I had the exact opposite experience like Wednesday. You said something like, look, we don't, people don't need to share their pain. You know, everybody's out there sharing all this stuff. And what are they doing it for? Attention. You know, you said that, you know, mentally strong people don't need the attention, don't want the attention. They want results. Right now. I completely disagree. I think maybe two weeks ago, I would have agreed with you. But something wild happened Wednesday. So do you know Ethan Klein? He's got a big eight podcast, oh, H3 yes, podcast, yes. right? Yes. So anyway, uh, the last year has been tough. YouTube has been tough. You know, it's a tough game. You know, numbers are shitty. It's like, fuck. So, so Wednesday morning, I'm working and I get a text that Ethan's talking about you, Tom. Go check it out. And he is on there ripping me apart. Who is you? this guy? Yeah, I'm not non-controversial. Who the fuck? What's he doing to get these guests? His channel sucks. His views suck. What's he doing? Is he paying them? Is he? Are they paying him to write a Forbes article? All this shit, right? I last like five minutes. I'm like fucking crushed. So then I'm like, <laughs> so, so then I'm like, I'm not. I don't have the armor you have, right? So, so then I go, fuck it, fuck him, because now I'm pissed. Because now he's like question he can say what he wants about the views that's public people can see him but it's another thing to call me in into question that i'm doing something weird or shady or under the table to, to get guests right so i wanted to make it perfectly clear and i tell him exactly how i do it so i'm about to shoot a video a response video on my phone right then my friend calls me and goes no fuck that don't do that because then there's no reason for him to talk to you you tag him, that's it. He sees your response and that's it. Go on the fucking show. So I tweet him and he has me on the show within 10 minutes. He, was, he did his podcast live. So I got on and explained myself. I said, hey, look, you're way out of line on this. This is how I do it. Hey, you're right. You know, it hasn't been a great year at YouTube. Like, okay, I, I don't have shit to say there, right? But you're wrong about this. I turn him around. Um, the interview went good. We were joking around. I get done, right? Okay, I've been interviewed before. It was great. okay. I mean, I didn't do anything great. As soon as I got done, I went on social media and the response was fucking insane. Thousands of people commenting and DMing me and your story so inspiring. You know, because basically I said, like, I really love doing this. Yeah, shit sucks. But if you, I'm passionate about it. I like what I do. I think I'm good at doing it. I'm going to fucking keep doing it, you know? So I get all these, I mean, thousands of DMs. So to make a long story longer, I'm crying. I'm literally crying. I'm not a huge crier. I'm crying because I'm like overwhelmed with emotion. So I grabbed my fucking camera and I felt stupid, but I just said, thank you to those, that whole crew. They made my day, right? And I filmed it and posted it. I would have never done that in a million years because I feel ridiculous. You're putting yourself out there. You're vulnerable. People fucking loved it. You know, 100,000 views on Twitter, you know, 100,000 over here and there. So when I saw your comment, I go, no, I think he's off on that. I think people like authenticity and people to be real and not to pretend everything's good all the time. Like, what would you say to that? Yeah, so there's a big difference between that and bitching. 
and, and wanting attention for the wrong reasons. What you did is you went up there and you said, this is hard. This is not easy. Yeah, you're right in this area and that area. You pulled off an M&M. That's not uh, uh, doing it because you wanted somebody to sympathize with you or feel sorry for you. You just straight up went up there and said, yeah, you're right about this. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, you're right about this. Like in at the end of the movie, Eight Mile, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Kudos to you for that. I respect that because you're in the arena. You're not escaping the arena. You're not running away from the problem. You're not running away from. I salute people like that. The people I was referencing is I, I run a have to think people don't know. Sometimes I make a video. It's not for the public. It's for my insurance agents. And I use that platform to make the video to respond to seven of my guys here. But then people think I'm saying it to. But anyways, I'll, I'll clarify for this to make sense to you. I have a couple guys in our company. Every time they got COVID, they would post a picture on uh, Instagram on how sick they are and how weak they are and how hard everything is. And that's why my life is this. And they want everybody to say, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Okay. This is a reason why men need fathers in their lives. Because most uh, uh, boys in America, there's a book that came out, which I don't think you would like, but I think you should read. It's I'm a father. No why wouldn't I like it? I think you should read it, but you're not going to like everything he says. But I, you come across as reasonable, so I think you'll get I'm a, a reasonable guy. He wrote a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Okay? okay. And in the book, he talks about, you know, what's happened with men in America where we were once spending more time with our fathers. Now we're spending more time around women and our mothers. And how in 1940s, only 4% of kids were born to a single mother. And now 40% of kids are being more to a single mother and boys need a father to put them in their place and challenge them and kick their ass a little bit. Military was good for me because I come from a single mother household. So my dad wasn't there from 10 years old till 18. I saw him once every other week. My parents got a divorce. So I went into the army. I meet drill sergeant green and another drill sergeant I had, they kicked my ass nonstop drill sergeant Pirtle. And I toughened up and I realized, listen, we whine too much. We cry too much. And why do we do that? Because when a boy cries, when he's 12, mom comes and says, Tommy, are you okay, baby? Do you need not milk? My mom. Do you need I'm not saying you, but I'm saying sometimes yeah, in no, life, it's mean. like, are you okay, baby? Are you do? So we, we think for the rest of our lives to get attention, that's what it is. And let me bitch and whine and complain and share my problems to get a lot of love. But the, the, you and I are saying two different things. You were straight up authentic. People love that. The first video that ever went viral for me was a video called Life of an Entrepreneur in 90 Seconds. That video got a few hundred million views. It's one of the first wow. videos ever that went viral on, in, on Facebook. I go to sleep. I wake up on October 31st of 2015. Within 12 hours, it's got 10 million views on Facebook. I'm like, what? Wow. Every website is down. I got 20,000 emails because at the end, Facebook used to allow you to link to a website and they shut that thing down very quickly was a great idea because they turn it off because they don't want people to leave Facebook. Of course. So that's not good for their ranking. And in the video, I'm talking about how hard it is to be a business owner. What people don't see is the sleepless nights and the days you doubt yourself and you question whether you can do it or not and how hard it is. Yeah, that's a sincere message. I'm staying in the ring. But for you to give me your tough, how hard life is, and that's the reason why you're not winning, no, you're just trying to justify and find out on why you're quitting when life gets hard. Listen, it's a good story to tell to make yourself feel good about yourself. But there's one person that will never lie to you, and that's the man or the woman in the mirror. 
if you're comfortable with that person, you, can, you can't bullshit that person. You can bullshit the world. You cannot lie to the man or the woman in the mirror. If you're good with that person, you're good to go. Then don't worry about it. Well, I want to know. Now you got me thinking. Okay, I want to know your thoughts on what do you think of millennials and Gen Z in the workforce? What do I think about millennials and Gen Z in the workforce? I think we've screwed them up a little bit. I think we've messed them up a little bit. I think uh, uh, this generation is too afraid of people quitting and we can't fire and they're too, you know, God forbid you say this and, you, you know, they need everything to be their way for them to. I love what Dave Portnoy did the other day. I love what Dave Portnoy did the other day. What you I don't know if you saw this or not. Oh. Dave uh, records a video and he says, where the is everybody? Oh, where I is saw everybody? that. Line 35, where is everybody? Where is where is everybody? These You guys must be effing idiots. Where are you guys? And then he puts a phone and he's watching everybody come in at 1030, 1040, 10 this. How many articles did this guy write? And some people are like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, what a terrible boss. Nobody would ever want to work with a person like that. Yeah, no, he would never want you to work for a guy like that. But killers want to work for a guy like that because they're hard to find. They're drivers. You know, everybody... Loves watching a Last Dance documentary. Oh, I love Michael. Everybody loves watching a man in the arena. I love Tom Brady. I love Derek Jeter. But no, my boss is too much of a driver. The people you admire are drivers. So what are you bitching and whining about? So stop admiring these people and go admire the quitters. Go admire the guys that complain about Michael. Go admire the guy that complained about Tom Brady. Go admire the guy that complained about Bill Belichick. Go, go admire those guys. But why do you admire those guys? They're drivers. Do you know how psychotic of a competitor Michael was? He was Brady a was? dick to play with. He was Absolutely. vicious. But guess what? The guy's got six championships, and what did he produce? Look at Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is a killer. Steve Kerr wasn't six 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 seven with a 48-inch vertical leap and hands the size of a freaking, you know, biggest hands in NBA where, you know, the mitt, what are, uh, Phil Jackson would call it the mitt. But look what happened with Steve Kerr. He said, with my body... I'm a dog. I'm a fighter. I'm a great coach. I'm a driver. Kerr is a driver. Okay, so but these things, sometimes we get confused with this next generation. So for me, I got four kids. God gave me two boys and two girls. And I spent uh, uh, a few months ago, uh, uh, one of the topics about 10 years ago, I got interested in, and then a few months ago, we did a video on it, and it was about generational wealth because I read a book in 2004 called The Ultimate Gift by a guy named Jim Stovall. And the story is about a man who uh, um, ends up uh, working for this field in Texas, and the man dies, and he leaves the land to this guy named Red Stevens. And five years later, you know, there's oil in this thing, and all of a sudden the guy becomes a billionaire, and he's worth $2.2 billion, and he spoils his entire family. His best friend becomes his lawyer of 40 years, and then he sits with his lawyer, and he says, I want us to shoot 13 videos. He says, what are you talking about? He says, 13 videos. What's the 13 videos? One of the videos is a video you have to play for my family when I die. If you play that video, it's because I've died and I'm talking to them. He says, the other 12 videos is an ultimate gift I'm going to give to one of my kids, one of, one of the people in my family that I think can get the ultimate, ultimate gift. I screwed up the rest of them. So the day comes, this guy, this guy dies. It's a sick book. By the way, it's like 100 pages. Okay. So he dies, and he's, he's sitting there, and everybody shows up, and his daughter's like with these two boyfriends, and his son lazy ass with two girls, and his wife's there like excited about the next marriage or whatever, and, and, and then his nephew's in the back, and he says, okay, if you're watching this video, it's because I'm dead. 
And some tells me you guys are happy because you're here to collect your inheritance. And he's kind of looking like this. And he starts saying, to my son, I'm going to give you my real estate portfolio worth $600 million. But the person taking care of the house has more decision-making process than you. That's not for you. You don't get to tell them what to do. You have zero decision-making with these properties. And he gives this to this, this to that. And then at the end to his nephew, he says, to nephew, you're probably wondering how come I've left you nothing and you're about to walk out. And in that scene, imagine the nephew's walking out, screw my uncle, he didn't do shit for me. And he says, I know this is going to sound strange. You're the only one in this room that I haven't overly spoiled. You're the only one that has a fighting chance in life. And because of that, I have the ultimate gift for you. And if you want to know what it is, you have to come back here, meet with my lawyer on Tuesday. You're going to go 12 months where I watch you watch one video every month. And if you finish the task, at the end of 12 months, I'm going to give you the ultimate gift. Tom, you got to freaking read this book. It's I'm in. I'm, I'm sold. Okay. So I read this book and I'm like enamored by the fact that I don't want to freaking raise my kids to be spoiled, rotten, those types of people I didn't like in school that would walk around like they're better than you all. I can't stand that kind of an mannerism or energy. It never did well with me. We had kids in school who were from rich families who were chill, who were regular. What a cool guy. You're from a successful, you talk to me like a regular guy. And then there were kids that were from rich family, like, oh, I would never do that. And I'm, I never liked these guys. So then I start reading generational wealth and how much money stays in generations and why, how the Medici family is the only one that's kept their wealth for seven generations and Vanderbilt's only kept it for two generations and Rockefellers are on three. And why is it that money keeps going gone within two generations? And then you realize it's because we raise spoiled, rotten kids. And in America, America made all this money, the founding fathers and all the people that came before us. And now because America has all the money that this generation didn't make, now we have to give all these entitlement programs to everybody? What are you talking about? You didn't earn that money. The people that came before us made that money. So now let's go on $35 trillion of debt. For what? Who's going to print? Who's going to pay off that money? If you're so much about caring about the future, I believe the children are future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride so you can why are we not doing that? Wasn't Whitney Houston singing that song that we fell in love with? Why don't we do something about that? But no, pass along the debt. They'll pay it off. Screw these kids. They're going to be okay. No, they're not. So I think, I think what we've done is tragic on the way we are raising this next generation. And uh, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting next season because um, there's an element of people that win in life who had to earn the right of being where they're at, this next generation is not an earn. It's an entitled generation. An entitled generation gets destroyed. Always gets destroyed. You know destroyed. what? Let me play devil's advocate to because <clears throat> let me play devil's advocate for a sec. I think you're just making a blanket statement, right? I would argue and I would say, okay, look at millennials, look at baby boomers, look at any generation, right? You got, like you call them, you got some fucking killers. I'm a fucking killer, right? It's a small percentage of the population, right? You're going to have the rest kind of fall in the middle somewhere. Some are going to be on the government dime. Some are going to be happy just landing that corporate job in middle management somewhere with a pension. They're just going to kind of coast along like that. And I would say, wouldn't you, wouldn't you find that in any generation, whether it's millennials or Gen Z or Gen X or boomers? Listen, I appreciate you being very sweet and trying not to offend people and being gentle and kind. What a sweetheart of a guy you are. I appreciate that. Uh, 
I, 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 I don't know if you have daughters or not, but you're like a daughter's daddy. I am. Got I got two daughters for sure. I'm sure they love their daddy. Like God made you to be a girl's dad. Like, okay. And, 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 and he's gifted you with that gentleness, which it's very good with the girls. But, you know. Um, but I'll, hey, I'll to, give- to be fair, hold on to that real quick, right? But to be fair, that's how I am with other people. With me, I couldn't be harsher. I'm the most vicious coach there's ever been inside my head at all times. And then I, to, to ask you another question, right? How do you manage people? Because most of them aren't killers. So oh, what do you do with the rest of them? But that's, not, but that's not what we're talking about. Okay, look, think, I'll explain it from a different standpoint. Okay, so Air Force, Navy, Army, Marines. Okay, which one is known for producing higher octane disciplined people? Air Force, Army, Navy, or Marines? Marines. Why? They're, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't, I don't know. It's called standards. Mm-hmm. It's called higher standards. That's all it is. Why is Air Force the least? Because these guys sleep in hotels. <laughs> their, their PT standards are lower. Their PT okay. standards and expectation is lower. I'm sorry. Like, why is it that playing for Nick Saban sucks? It sucks playing for that guy. Why does it suck to play for Bill Belichick? Why does it suck to play for, you know, John Wooden, Bill Walton shows up and says, hey, you got to go cut your beard and get a haircut. I ain't cutting a haircut for nobody. You don't have to, but you ain't playing. Bill Walton goes, gets a haircut, comes back and says, I realize John Wooden means business. I was at the hospital when John Wooden died at 99 years old at Ronald Reagan Hospital somewhere in L.A., Westwood, and I'm sitting right there with his pastor, you should have seen what types of people were showing up and how much they love this guy. He set a high standard of expectation with love. Look, in our family, there's a few things we go by. When I teach my kids, I teach them four things. Lead, respect, improve, and love. You got to lead in every situation. Every situation you're in, try to lead. Respect people because we can learn something from everybody. Improve because it's the ultimate peace of mind because say you lost, you had a shitty show, you had a shitty day, you had a shitty game. Brother, if you're willing to improve, it's going to work out. And last but not least, love everybody, man. Even, you know, figure out a way to love the people out there. It's not going to be easy to do, but you got to do it. But we don't get bullied and we don't bully. Very simple. We don't bully, but we're not going to get bullied. And then if we pray, we pray for courage, wisdom. I've eliminated number three, tolerance, but it's courage, wisdom, and understanding. And this is what we stand for as a family. You can have four different families one produce kids that are low standards and net negative to society, and one produce kids that are net positive to society, and couple families that produce two net positive and two net negative. But certain values and principles produce better products. You have to be naive to say that's not the case. It is I the agree. case. You know, certain people are going to produce better products than others, and that's okay. So for us to sit here and talk about the fact that, you know, it's unfair. I remember one time, Time Magazine came out with a great article talking about millennials, and it ends the article in a way where it, it feeds to your argument. It says, you know, millennials are the most biggest narcissist, and, you know, they're the biggest this, and Gen Z, and all they want to do is take pictures of themselves and videos and all this other stuff, da, 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 and it just keeps trashing them. And then at the end of the article, it says, maybe all of this is right, or maybe you're just getting older and you forgot when you were a kid. Right. Sure. And, and by the way, Tom, to be fair, they're both right. Of yeah. course, as we get older, we kind of have. But still, we can look at data to show somebody produces softer generation than others. Data data is going to prove all of that for you. 
it's not hard to prove that. But uh, that's my point with higher standards. We need higher standards people today. We don't have enough. All right. Now, I think I know where you're going to stand on this, but hustle culture could not be less cool than now, right? My question to you is, and I've interviewed hundreds of successful people, and I think I do agree with, how, with what you're going to say. Is it possible if you're reaching for a big goal, whether it's to found a huge company, whether anything, you're, whether you're trying to make it to the NFL, whatever, a big dream, not just, hey, I want to go to college and get a nice job, like something out of the ordinary. Is it possible to have a healthy work-life balance or do you have to have that intensity, Michael Jordan, laser focus, fuck everything else, this is what I'm doing 24-7? Great, great question. So. I am married for 14 years. I got four kids, two boys, two girls, and I run nine companies. I do shows, podcasts. Um, you know, I, I have to do research. I have to sit here and know my next podcast that's coming up, what stories I'm going to talk about. Nice. I got it. I have, I have to sit here and read the paper to see what's in the news. I have to sit there and look at my consulting clients today with all the different consulting clients we sat down with that we're going through. I have to sit here and look at the next book because I'm about to have this guest, Rick Rubin, that's going to be on. So I got to read You're his book. You're having Rick Rubin on? Yeah, Rick Rubin on. So he wants he to He is my favorite music producer of all time. I met him once. I had like five minutes with him. Fascinating guy, man. I yeah, love that guy. Rick Rubin. So, so but, but, but the point is uh, uh, the following. So I have a book coming out on December 5th. It's called Choose Your Enemies Wisely. And it's coming out with Penguin. It's a business book on business planning for the audacious few. I think if you choose the wrong enemies, you'll destroy your life and you won't enjoy it. But if you choose your enemies wisely, it'll tap into a fire of yours that's going to introduce you to a person you've never met before. So you have to choose the right enemies. This is why choose your enemies wisely. But on the Your Next Five Moves book I wrote, which became the number one Wall Street Journal bestseller called Your Next Five Moves, move number one is... Who do you want to be, right? That question, Tom, I can't tell you how many times I've asked that. I love asking that question because people look at me and they don't have an answer. That's a so that's, big problem. There you go. So I say to Johnny, who do you want to be? Uh, uh, that's the point. So what's the point? Why are you upset at a person that knows who they want to be? Michael wanted to be the greatest. And he wanted to prove a lot of people wrong because he chose his enemies wisely. He kept recruiting new enemies. Kobe was maniacal. You know, when, when AI and Kobe are done with a game and AI says, can you drop me off to a restaurant? They go to a restaurant, have dinner. Then he says, let's go to the club afterwards. Kobe says, nah, man, I'm going back to the gym to practice on my shot. And AI goes to a club and he says, that's the night I realized I'm not Kobe. He's got five championships. AI ends up being the greatest six foot, you know, anyway, some will call Nash or others. To me, it's AI. Uh, but he never won a championship. Nope. And by the way, you can say he didn't have a good squad, which I agree. Eric Snow, you know, a couple of the guys. I remember that came team, yeah. We didn't really have a team, but still, no. you know, he was a monster, right? AI was. But to me, Tom, it all starts with who you want to be. When my wife and I were getting, uh, uh, were uh, dating, I had known my wife for five and a half years. And, you know, it was the first time we were single. So I asked her how we go out on a date. On first date, December 29th, 07, we go to P.F. Chang's. We have dinner. The next day is a Sunday. I take her to church in the morning. 
Then we go to Santa Monica. We do the stairs in Santa Monica. I'm sure you know which stairs I'm talking yeah, cool. about. Good day. Then we go to Earth Cafe. Love Earth Cafe. Then after Earth Cafe, we go to uh, Borders, where then when there used to be a Borders. And on our second date, I bought a book called 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. And I told her, I said, look, I've given this book to three other girls. You're the fourth. I said, I know what I'm looking for in a wife. I said, I know what I'm looking for in a wife. And, you know, I want you to read this book. I'm not looking for another girl to hook up with. I got plenty. I'm, not, I'm totally fine in that area. I'm not struggling. I want to have a family. That's where I'm at. And if it's too intimidating, let's not continue because I'm not at a phase that I have a lot of time to waste. So we went through all the questions a week later, six and a half hours. We're listening to uh, Drew Hill and we're listening to John Mayer. We talk about a playlist, you know, <laughs> that we're listening to. Um, and then I told her, I said, look, here's who I want to be in my life. If you want a husband that's going to be home every night at five o'clock, six o'clock, I'm not the guy for you. And I'm telling you, don't force it because I'm not going to do that. You know, if you're looking for this, if you're looking for this, I'm not that guy. But if you're looking for a guy that is his number one goal in life to be an incredible father since I was six years old, my dream was to be a great father because my dad was a very good father. He's a good father. He's in the hospital today, but he's a very good father. I'm sorry. And that was important to me uh, 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 when, when I was going. So, and I said, look, I don't know about marriage because you're going to change. I want to change. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be married. We're going to take marriage one year at a time. And when I got married at the end of the wedding, I told everybody, I said, listen, guys, don't come ask us about whether we're pregnant or not. It's not your business. And don't ask us how long we're going to be married. We're taking it one year at a time. I don't know if we're going to be married 40 years or 10 years or 20 years, but I know we can be married for one year. And that concept has almost challenged each of us to, you know, take an inspection if I'm being a good husband, if I'm being a good father. Am I taking care of my body? You know, I, my weight went to 260 pounds and I looked at myself in a mirror and I'm like, what happened wow. to your belly? So I changed my diet. I'm like, no, I'm not eating breakfast. So I, I, I don't eat any breakfast anymore till lunchtime. I've changed. I stopped drinking soda July of 2019. I've lost four inches. I'm 6'4 right now, but I'm 235. You look and good. This wow. Is my yeah, I'm 6'4, 235. And I train every morning with my guy three times a week and former wide receiver. He kicks my butt. He understands my body because he's also tall and long. But the moral of the story is, you know, if you want to go full throttle, only you know what your vision is or what your vision isn't. If you know how clear you are with your vision, if I would have compromised it just to make my wife happy, eventually my enemy is going to be my wife because I compromised my vision for her and I'm going to be bitter towards you. I don't want to be bitter towards you. Yep. So, no two people can be compared in a way that they're equals. You have to start off with the first question. Who do you want to be? What kind of a life you want to live? And then sequence it from there. Is I'm sure you get asked every day, I want to start a business. How do I become successful? And first of all, how many times do you get asked that in an average day? All the time. Okay. It is what you just said the most important thing for them to figure out first? your vision like do you have to are you are you a believer in like manifest manifestation or just envisioning your goal or like picturing oh, yeah. what that is or yeah. what that looks like to you yeah absolutely envisioning I, I, you know I, I call it future truth right yep. it's a current lie it's a future truth absolutely um but 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 again man in life like tom ellsworth who is uh, 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 our chief strategy officer okay 
And I brought him in. He's a guy that uh, was a Silicon Valley guy. So when the day Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were interviewed in those red chairs, I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It's a great interview. Yep. There was 300 people invited. Tom was one of them. Wow. So Tom is right now next door. We've been in business together since 2014. We've been good friends since 2008. And Tom is... 17 years my senior, okay? But let me tell you, he told me the most incredible thing. He says, Pat, I'll tell you the craziest thing here. He says, do you know the least money I've ever made in my life is when I was number one in the company? I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm a terrible CEO and founder. He says, because I'm, that's just not my strength. He says, but I'm a great number two or a number six or a number five or number three. I'm an incredible number two, three, four, five, six. I'm like, explain more. So he started explaining his exits, how his biggest exit was number six and his biggest exit was number two. But his top three biggest losses were the companies he started and one that he was a CEO. He said, I'm not a CEO. And, you know, in life, it's very hard to realize maybe you're a supporting role. Go be a killer supporting role. Maybe you're the guy that wants to take the pressure and be the number one guy. But don't say you're number one guy because you have an ego or it's like from a place of another person did it. So you want to do, but you know, deep down inside, you don't like the pressure of number one, then don't do it. And, you know, maybe do it a little bit to see if you got it. Then you're like, no, honestly, this isn't for me. Totally fine. You know, uh, but, but those things to be, you know, asking yourself of what your positioning of strength is, do that, you know, and then eventually you're going to be like, well, you know, I, I do very well in X, Y, Z. Great. Go in the... The guy that would wrap Kobe's uh, ankles, guess what? Kobe talks about how important he was in Kobe's life. Without him, he would have never da da da. All these, you know, and how the one, he's like, hey, my uh, finger, you got to pop it back in. You know, that one scene, he goes like this and he puts it back in, yep. pats him on the head, and he goes back into the game. To Kobe, that guy's very important in his life. So you got, you got to figure that part out and not try to compare yourself to, I have to be this guy. You're not that guy, okay? And uh, it, by the way, Tom, that is not easy to do, bro. That, that's no. not easy to do. And you know, the other thing too, and you're 100% right, are people self-aware at all? Are most people self-aware? I, I, you know, uh, listen, it, it, whether we are, uh, uh, but not enough, some of us more than others, and some of us are in denial, and some of us have the most, you know, incredible thing that happens to you that steals years of your life, secretly envious. And that envy, man, it could steal a decade or two from your life. And you wake up one day, you're 48 years old. You're like, what the hell happened last 20 years? Oh, just because I was envious against my brother or that best friend of mine or that, oh man, I cannot believe I lost two decades of my life. You got to be, you got to be very aware of this envy stuff because that, that's, uh, by the way, we've, we've all been there before where you have it, you're destroyed. You're like in a web and you can't get out and you got to figure sometimes the only way to get out is through faith and prayer and for some meditations and going away and interest, you know, but it's, it's not easy to go through it. So I would say we are pretty self-aware, not that much. All of us, some of us are not at all, but some that are envy's got a hold of them and you got to You got to let that go. Patrick, I mean. This didn't, didn't last as long as Rogan's. I mean, it's Friday. I don't know if you, you have a cheat meal. Like I have my cheat meal of pizza on Friday night, you know, so I, we, hopefully we freed up some of your, your afternoon. It was a pleasure, man. Now, what are you promoting? What do you got uh, going well, on? Oh, yeah. So let me, let me talk about an app that we made that I think it's going to be uh, something that you probably ought to take advantage as well. It's an app called Manect. 
seven years ago, uh, I call my lawyer. We have a seven-minute call. I had a simple conversation with the guy. I get off the phone. He bills me for 30 minutes. I call him up. I'm like, we had a seven-minute call. Why are you billing me for 30 minutes? And he says, you, you know, minutes roll up when you deal with a lawyer. I said, no, man, not to 30 minutes, maybe to 10 minutes. He says, no. I said, what do you charge by the minute? He says, no lawyer charges by the minute. I said, one day I'm going to build an app where I get to pay people by the minute. So we launched Minect. Do you have a minute to connect? Let's oh. Minect. So on Minect, where let's just say you're trying to get a hold of somebody and you want to DM them and they don't respond back. Like the DM rate on Instagram is like 94% of people are not going to respond back to you. But what if you could pay somebody to get a respond back? Or you can pay somebody to get a respond back in a video. Or what if you can pay somebody to have a 15-minute FaceTime with them or an hour FaceTime with them on how to raise money, on how to build a YouTube channel, on how to marriage, or you want to talk to an influencer, an actor, a private equity guy or a business guy. On Minect, you sent, and there's a 94% respond back. You're going to get an answer back, text, video, or FaceTime. And that's the app Minect. So for, for experts, they get paid 80% whatever fee they put in. And for everybody else, you get to pick and choose who you want. And whatever you want to pay, you can pay by the minute. Nice. And you have a book coming out, I think, before the end of the year, right? Do you have a date for that? Can we yes. talk about it? Choose Your Enemies Wisely comes out December 5th. Uh, it's a business book, business planning for the audacious few. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Hey, I want to play a quick game with you after this. It'll take five minutes. That's it. It'll be fun. Okay, but hey, guys, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications. We have merch. Go to the shop tab in the bottom of the video. Uh, thanks so much, guys. New interviews every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Bye. Hey, guys, welcome to Level Up in 10, where every week we ask our guests 10 questions designed to improve your life. Today, we have Patrick Bet David. Are you ready to play? Let's play. What businesses are going to be ruined because of AI and which ones are going to stay around? I think cable TV is done. They're going to get destroyed in no time. Copywriting is going to be done because of AI. I think a big part of Hollywood is going to be destroyed by AI. I think Writers Guild and Actors Guild, a strike that's been as long as it's been, where writers, the last time Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon did a show was May 12th because the writers are not writing anymore. That's a long time. That's three months. They haven't done a single show. They haven't and done. I think Hollywood's going to experience a lot of disruption with AI. If somebody wants to start a business, but they don't have a ton of money to invest and get started, what kind of business would you recommend them looking into? I think sometimes instead of starting a business, go find a great operator founder to work with, go in there, earn the right, and eventually ask for equity. When the company sells, you can end up getting a few million dollars. Now, other than your own books, obviously, what is the best business book you've ever read? When it comes out to marketing, everybody has to read Blue Ocean Strategies. Hence, it's 5 million copies sold. I just had the authors on a podcast two months ago, Blue Ocean Strategy, the best marketing book you'll read out there. Is work-life balance possible when you're working towards a big goal? No, just like when somebody is pregnant, when a woman's pregnant, the only thing they're thinking about is them being pregnant. And when you have a baby, trust me, there is no work-life balance for 12 months. And that's fine because it's one of the greatest things that ever happened in your life. No, when you're in the hunt, there's no work-life balance. What is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Trying to force one of my best friends to want it as much as I did. I lost a very good friend 20 years ago. Do companies like BlackRock and Vanguard run the world? And if so, how should we invest? They have a lot of influence with the institutional money they use to control media, to control Hollywood, to control these big military companies like Boeing, 
General Dynamics, you know, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon. And yes, they do in a big way. Whoever uh, gets elected has to figure out a way to break these companies down because they have a monopoly in what they're doing. And currently, modern day president is a Larry Fink. Are we in a recession or do you see one coming? Michael Burry just bet $1.6 billion. He shorted against the market. That's a lot of money. And Michael Burry, to do that, if you've ever seen the movie Big Short, yeah, for two years before shit hit the fan, everybody thought he was an idiot until it hit it. Then they made a movie about him. So that should tell you something. Is it a good time to buy a house? Are rates high and st- going to stay high? Or are they going to go up? Or are they going to come down? If you're looking for a house, what should you do? Here's what's happening. We just crossed the trillion dollars of Nash- trillion dollars of credit card debt. And the U.S. savings is decreasing every quarter. When a man has very little in savings, they panic and they start selling things cheap. Panic is around the corner. So I'm not a real estate agent to tell you when or when not. But if I were wanting to buy a house, I would probably do it in the next three, six, nine months. What's the best business lesson you ever learned? Put a good team together around you. Once you know your vision is clear, do whatever you can to recruit the right team around you. Uh, We're doing that right now in a big way. And uh, I slept better at night the moment I recruited or hired somebody that was doing the one thing I wasn't good at that was keeping me up at night. So you're one great recruit away on your team from getting better sleep and growing your company faster. Finally, who is your favorite entrepreneur of all time and why? Who's my greatest favorite entrepreneur of all time? Man, I have to. This is pretty bad if I can't think of my favorite entrepreneur. Did I stump you? This is rare. I like Steve Jobs a lot as a visionary. Okay, I'll give you a few here. I love Kirk Kikorian. I'm a big Ted Turner fan. The guy's a monster. He's a beast. He's a driver. I like what he did. I love the fact that Jobs was uh, unapologetic. I like what Schwartzman does. He's a beast of a guy, Stephen Schwartzman, when it comes down to what he's built. Old school, you know, we can go to some of the things Rockefellers and Vanderbilts did. And then Musk is probably on that list. Here's a guy that's worth $300 billion. He can buy a small city, a state, if he wanted to, and he still continue. You got to love his audacity. One more question then. What's Twitter going to look like in a year? Oh, I've already predicted. Twitter will be a trillion dollar company, but not in a year, but it'll be a trillion dollar company. You never go against somebody that's not doing it for money. Never. You never, ever bet against the guy that's not doing it for money. You can clown him all you want. He'll get the last laugh. Brother, this was a pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Subscribe, turn on notifications, follow Patrick, bet David everywhere. He's a monster. He's on social. He's everywhere. So thanks, brother.